0: It ain't easy, but it's something you've wanted, worked for, ever since you tasted the spotlight of the school play back in third grade. What happens when you get it? He
1: won the showcase, and and all the music's playing, and Bob's got his arm around her, and my father's sitting there, and he goes, I'll be damned. Because she had been saying for years, I'm going to go on that show, I'm going to be a winner. And she was. All of these people who said she couldn't do it were going to be reading about her on the front page of the Beaver County Times.
0: On the next Snap Judgment, fame, the price, the heights, the fall, the music, the loss, the laughter, and the pain. Remember her name. Snap Judgment. Storytelling with the beat from PRX and NPR. Welcome to Snap Judgment from PRX and NPR. My name is Glenn Washington and here's a tip. If you decide to move to Japan, do not do so if you only have $248.57 to your name. It's not a lot of yen. But if you do decide to move over there with your empty pockets, don't waste your precious minutes hanging out at the bar with your good time buddies listening to them tell you how you need to get a job. Thanks for the newsflash, fellas. I'm racking my brain one afternoon. I go back to Roach Motel, and the phone's ringing. The woman on the other end of the phone, she's so happy. Hello, are you the black person living in Japan? <laughs> yes, I am. The happy woman, she cheers. a go I have a very great offer for you. We would like you to appear on the new television show, Nippon Dai Dai Daisuke. Television? <laughs> well, my Japanese isn't very good. No, You're extremely skillful. You're talking to me right now. Uh huh. Well, um, I don't want to look stupid or nothing. There's a nice payment package. Soldus go? So Can I send a limo to pick you up? Look at me. A limo? Yes, we need to start shooting later today. You don't mind, do you? Cool. I go back to shower, find my clean shirt. And true to her word, a polished gleaming limousine sits outside waiting for me. What? Like the limo. Two beautiful long leg models, a whiskey cabinet, whoa! And everything coming out of my mouth is hilarious to them. They laugh and laugh. And far too soon, we pull up at NHK Studios in Osaka. I figure, I've been clowning the whole ride. Why stop now? On the steps of the studio, females in high school and college uniforms wait to see if any big celebrities go into the building. I put on my sunglasses, put my right hand over my face, get out of the limousine and run toward the front doors of the studio. The crowd starts screaming. They're jumping, hollering, clapping. Hands are reaching for me as I get to the door and pulled inside by the security guards. Hilarious. Joke's on them because I'm nobody. I get to the studio and meet the host of the show. He's cool because his hair is wrapped in a red bandana. He's like, which is like, you got to represent and speak the accent of where you're from. I'm like, I'm from Detroit. He's like, not today you're not. You are Hikonegaretsu. Today, you're representing Hikone. My small town, my local bar, my peeps. That's right, because in Japan, every word you speak gives away exactly where you're from. And I had to do it right. So I'm like, cool, my Japanese is pretty crappy, but I'm probably going to be with a bunch of foreigners and their Japanese is probably going to be pretty crappy, too. Nope. We sit down and these other people are speaking like college professors. i got to change up strategy. I figure I'll let the nerds do their thing and I'll sneak in with the laugh lines. <laughs> then it's lights, camera, action. die, Dai Dai Daisuke! It's, it's a round table and we're talking about stuff and culture and I'm trying to be funny in a regional dialect and I make a few mistakes but I'm just happy to be hanging with the big boys. The initial taping finishes and the happy lady takes me into another studio where they ask me what I would do if I lived in a one room Japanese apartment and my mother-in-law asked to move in. I answer as best I can and it's over. Everybody smiles. They tell me the show's gonna air in a month. They hand me a fat check and I'm out cool. Perfect. But what they didn't mention was the promotion for the show. Turns out that when I got out of the limo and ran in the studio, a camera took in the whole thing. The commercial shows me kick open the limo door. Onlookers gasping, models behind me running as I go slow motion toward the studio. People clapping, sunglasses gleaming, the ladies shouting Grand Washington Nippon Dydydanski
2: it's fat!
0: And the commercial is running 24 7. I go back to my local bar and everybody is ecstatic. You're representing Hikone? I walk down the street and the kids are shouting to me, Grand Washington, Nippon Doyadaisuke! And the owner of my local bar, Mr. Sugimoto, he gets extra television sets set up so everybody can see it. He tells me how proud he is. He says, nothing like this has ever happened to one of his own. It's great. The big day is coming up, and I'm thrilled. Can't wait to see this show, because who knows what could happen next? One TV show could lead to a series. Maybe somebody wants to talk about a movie. You never know. And finally, the big moment arrives. There are two or 300 people packing to Sugimoto's tiny little bar to watch the program. And it starts. And right from the beginning, something is wrong. Everyone's talking, having a good time, chatting about this and that. And then the camera zooms in on my head. My eyeballs shift from side to side like a crazy person. And suddenly, this big animated question mark pops over my head. Oh! And it's like, let's laugh at this buffoon. <laughs> And then, we're talking about arranged marriages, right? And yes, I I did, I messed up. I was trying to be clever and say, well, hook me up with one of those arranged marriages. The word for arranged marriage is omiyage. But instead, I said omiyage, which meant that in the middle of the conversation, I pop up and say, I would like a present, please. Oh. Another big question mark flashing over my head, and the studio audience is roaring with laughter. The host is like, Hey, man, I don't have any present for you. I'm watching this in the bar, watching this slander, and it is deathly silent. No one in Hikone is laughing, no one is drinking their drink. The show continues one humiliation after another. I am the star buffoon, and finally, just like at the studio. I go back to another room, the host asks me what I would do if my mother-in-law had to move in with me. The camera shows me nodding, my understanding of the question, Uh Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, close-up, redemption time, I open my mouth, and I say, I understand nothing at all. And they show me walking out of the studio, waving like a jackass. The studio audience loses it. People are on the ground laughing. But home in Hikone, I'm attacked. What the hell is wrong with you? Why can't you talk? And I'm screaming at people. It was editing. They edited me to look like that. We saw the whole thing. No, they changed things up to make me look like an idiot. That is not what happened. That's not what happened. This whole recollection right now is painful. It hurts me to recall the look in Mr. Sugimoto's face when he grabbed me by the hand, looked me in the eye, and asked me, Glenn, are you really an idiot? Today, on Snap Judgment, from PRX and NPR, fame stories about getting there the lights, the thrill, the VIP rope, watching from a distance and having it thrust on you when you least expect it. And what happens when you fall? I didn't even know this was a real person. I didn't know this was a muse, but Rita Daniels knew. Rita Daniels, Stab Judgment's own Rita Daniels, spoke to the woman who inspired the song that was the soundtrack of when I was, you know, a little bit younger than I am now. Rita Daniels, take it away.
3: Thank you very much.
4: Hi, my name's Jane. How does the universe know your name?
3: Well, by a a song being written about me and a band named after me.
4: And the band and the song?
3: It's Jane Says from Jane's Addiction.
4: Okay, so maybe let's talk about the circumstances that led you to infamy we're
3: talking about 84 when I hit the LA scene there was mostly the sunset strip you know tight rock and roll David Lee Roth was big rock was big we were sort of punks we were the younger generation we looked different it was pretty clearly identifiable I ended up moving to another small uh, house that I shared with Eric Avery, and then I lived in the Wilton
4: house with Perry. So how did you end up in that house?
3: It was fate. Stuart Sweezy made it big, and he was moving out. Chris Petterson from suburbia said, I'm not going to be upstairs without Perry Farrell. And so, (laughs) you know living up the stairs with Perry and we became very close. It was really a do-it-yourself culture. We were there making t-shirts in our backyard, making posters and doing it, you know, just out of the fun of it. We were all young and it was a really fun time. The band ended up sort of being introduced by me in a roundabout way and they became this band, Jane's Addiction.
4: What was your reaction when they told you they were naming their band Jane's Addiction?
3: Well, it was really embarrassing. It's mortifying, really. Honestly, I was a little surprised that you contacted me for this fame show that you're doing because I wouldn't consider myself famous. I guess you would have to define my notoriety as infamy. I guess I'm infamous for um, my image that was on some of the early things my signature that's used on a lot of promotional materials and
4: I and mean, then your song. The, song the song jane says this song how about that that's it how much truth is there in that song
3: you know addiction is a complicated thing it's really a, a tag this label this ball and chain there's not really a, a shiny upside to this label. You can never escape it, and it feels really personal.
4: But it's emotive, yeah, and it's people. A pretty, it's
3: a pretty song. It's a, it's a good song, you know, it's an intense song. But the song's not mine. It's just about me. <laughs> it's Perry's song, and so I think, you know, it is magical knowing that, that you hold a place in so many people's hearts, that they have compassion for me. For my experience, and I guess that so many people had really great life experiences that were formed somehow attached to this song, you know so that in itself is flattering to me more than how much I like the song jane's addiction, they got really big really fast by eighty nine ninety they had my poster all around the world, but Part of my story, part of the lyrics, are that one day I wanted to go to to Spain. And I did make it to Spain. When I eventually got there, it was a long and harrowing trip. I arrived home to this cold house, exhausted, ready to pull myself a hot bath with candles, which I did. So I'm just sinking into my hot bubble bath, and I turn on the radio. And it was,
4: Jane says,
3: it was playing.
5: <laughs>
3: it was one of those cosmic coincidences that you just say, why?
4: It's taken over. It's got a life of its own. Yeah, it's out there. Here we go! When you were contacted in the early 2000s with the news that the song Jane says made it into the top 100, was it having a resurgence at that point, or had it never backed off?
3: I think it was having a resurgence, but for some reason this resurgence clicked it into classic rock territory, (laughs) who would have guessed? So that's where they are today, you know, It's, it's amazing.
4: And on the weekends, a lot of stations start off Friday afternoons with Jane Says, yeah?
3: Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stations around this country that kick off their weekends with the, the Friday evening play of Jane Says. Woohoo, weekend's here.
4: <laughs> does that song still bother you? it still make you uncomfortable when you listen to it?
3: Actually, that's one of the things that does bring me happiness, that <laughs> when they play it at 5 p.m. on Fridays, I think that's a nice tribute. A tribute to you
4: personally? I'll take it personally. Is there anything that you want to say or put out there, or make sure that people know?
3: I think that there's just so much more to me than what's known. That's a long time ago. I've been clean and sober ever since. And um, my life experiences are not the experience of Jane says. You know, that's just such a small part of me. So I guess I would like to be allowed to flower, I guess, a little bit more.
0: Many thanks to Jane Bainter for that story. Jane Bainter, she's busy living her life, doing her thing. But one thing she does not do is Facebook. Thankfully, we here at Snap Judgment do. If you want to send her some love, send us some. We'll send it to her. Snap Judgment to the ORG. Snap Judgment, the fame episode, though, will be right back after the break. to snap judgment from npr and prx and now we do try to keep this woman in the studio just to say hello but she insists on going places the good thing is wherever she goes stories break out snap judgment zone and assessment
6: here we go the background okay hi my name is jonathan jones and we are in
5: india that's my husband john we're trying to report from india but it's impossible because the government won't give us journalist visas. So instead, we're just drowning in red tape. So we give up. We decide to go on vacation. We hop in a jeep, and we head north to Darjeeling. As we drive into the mountains, we keep seeing these groups of school kids on the side of the road holding up posters and screaming at us To vote for
3: someone.
5: So we figure there's some kind of election going on, and the closer we get to Darjeeling, the more intense this fervor becomes. Long lines of children and parents and grandparents lining the roads, screaming at us to vote for Prashant. It's more enthusiasm than we've ever seen anywhere in the world for an election. And that's when we realize the election is for Indian Idol. Indian Idol! The Indian version of American Idol. Indian Idol. Welcome back, everybody. Prashant Tamang is one of two final contestants on the show. And people have pulled their TV sets out on the stone streets to watch.
6: I, I, I want you to sing with me, guys. Please. Delete, delete. Oh, they're all ready. They all are ready. Block. come on! One, two, three, four, Gorkali,
2: go. the, the local boy of uh, this small town, dazzling. he has participated
5: in an, in an idol. He has become a great hero of our place. Sir. He has become a local hero. This is not just about one kid hitting it big. This is about the Gurkha people, the people that live up here. Today, they're mostly security guards in India, but these are the same guys who fought with the British in World War II in the Gurkha Brigades. And this is their modern-day battle.
7: Like winning a war. We are recognized through him that he's from Dazling and it's the first time in history such thing is happening for Dazling.
5: Now, the Gurkha people can finally be recognized as something other than security guards. They can be Bollywood heroes.
2: Uh, He's from
3: our hometown, and he's our pride. That's why our name will be uh, lifted in the country.
5: The streets of the town are lined with these telephone voting tables, where they line up phones and people can text in votes for Prashant. The schools are canceled. The stores are all closed. John and I look at each other and know we're not getting a vacation. This is a story. We unpack our recording equipment, I put together my microphones, and John reports a story for the San Francisco Chronicle.
4: And now, have you voted for him? Yes,
5: of course. How many times have you voted? <laughs> countless, it's countless. Do
4: you think more than 100?
5: Yes, of course, more than thousands. More than thousands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, India is not wealthy. We're watching people spend thousands of rupees on voting.
1: Is it more important where you come from or how well you sing? Wow,
5: uh, what to see. <laughs> Prashant can sing. His most popular songs are Nepali folk songs. But we hear rumors that the Gurkha National Liberation Front, which is the local independence movement, is threatening families and forcing them to text in votes. And even though we're swept up in the excitement, staying up late eating steamed dumplings to watch the votes come in, we're a little nervous. Sometimes... Young men will speed through the town. Their faces are covered with bandanas, and they're waving black flags. And no one will tell us what might happen if he loses.
4: What do you think will happen if he if he wins here?
5: All the people will celebrate, of course, obviously. And if he loses? We <laughs> don't know what happens. We don't we'll know find that. out, right? It's the night of the Indian Idol finale. Everyone packs into an abandoned wooden church and watches the show on a very old, flickering tabletop television. They line the church steps with firecrackers and clasp their hands in prayer in front of the TV. Prashant wins! We're dancing with old men in the streets and drinking local beer. Everyone parades into the town square and celebrates for hours. There's nothing but pride echoing off the Himalayas. We finally head back to our little Tibetan guesthouse and fall asleep to the drumming. But the next morning, we wake up to a weird silence. We look outside and there's broken windows and the young men in the bandanas are marching up to the town square with flags and sticks. All the businesses are shuttered. Apparently, a popular radio host announced that shopkeepers across the nation should not expect to see their security guards show up for work because all the Gurkhas would be too busy celebrating. And this is a huge insult to the Gurkha. Enough to set off protests, riots and black flag-waving fury in Darjeeling. A woman said to me that they were upset because they wanted to be known in India as something other than security guards. And the radios that had been blaring Prashant's love songs through distorted speakers along the roadsides were that morning all turned off.
0: Thank you, Anna Sussman. Now, if you want to see a video of Darjeeling doing the middle of the Indian Idol celebration, click on over to our amazing story-sharing website, snapjudgment.org. You'll find videos, stories, the award-winning Snap Judgment podcast. If you want some, come get some. And if you've got a story, if stuff is always happening to you the same way it's always happening to Anna, share your tale with millions of your closest friends at snapjudgment.org. And yes, we've got that Facebook. Yes, we've got your Twitter. What do you think this is? Three years ago? No way. Now, what if you worked all your life to jump into the spotlight and then your best friend decided to steal it? And what if your best friend was... (laughs) I'm going to let Scott Sanders tell his own story.
6: I love my dog, and I love my girlfriend. Today, for good reason, she's bent out of shape. She believes that I ripped up pillows and splayed feathers throughout our loft. I tried to explain to her that our dog did it, our well-behaved and incredibly poised dog, Jake. I'm an actor. I've had good times and bad times. I work off-Broadway and on soaps. As the world turns, I played a rogue cop Another World, I played an Italian tennis pro, but I'm a serious actor. Join us tomorrow. I studied with Kim Stanley, Stella Adler, uh, Lee Strasberg. My acting teacher says I'm as good as Pacino and Hoffman. I spent the summer in the Hamptons on a Woody Allen film called Stardust Memories, and when it ended, to celebrate its wrap... I uh, drive to this fancy kennel in Connecticut, and I buy a beautiful golden retriever puppy. I name him Jake Baldini Sanders. I return home, puppy in hand. Just then, my agent Sid calls me to tell me I've been edited out of Woody Allen's film. With that kind of encouragement coming from Woody and others, my acting career oscillates. I start getting desperate for cash, so on a whim, I take a photo of my beautiful golden retriever. I get him to sit still for the headshot because he'll do anything for a bagel. I send the photo to a top animal agent. I get a call from Arid Extra Dry. They want to do an ad with tennis great Jimmy Connors. But the key is they don't want me. They want Jake. What do they want Jake to do? They want him to sit on the sidelines and watch. Try to look regal. I'm positioned off camera holding a bagel. Jake knows that's his reward if he doesn't screw up. Jake is on TV, head-turning, following each perfect Jimmy Connors volley. Action. See, somehow when the lights go on, Jake turns into Marilyn Monroe. It's amazing. He never screws up.
0: That's why I play like an animal.
6: It's incredible. Within five days... Jake the dog is getting work. Not just a job, but non-stop work. And at this point, it's still amusing. It starts with print jobs, then TV movies with Mr. T and David Hasselhoff. There was a screen test for Spielberg for an all dog version of Guys and Dolls that never happened. I got to meet Spielberg, but not in the way I had ever imagined Someone at Ralston Perina sees Jake on TV and thinks, that's our dog. Overnight, Jake is Ralston Perina's cover dog. About three times a week, an air-conditioned limo picks us up and takes Jake to his acting gigs. I'm the stage mom for my dog. It's, it's like this laser-like trip to fame at head speeds. It's incredible. Clearly, Jake's fame is eclipsing my own. You have to understand, I... I'm a serious actor. I study with serious teachers. And my dog, my dumb dog in the blink of an eye, is 10 times more successful than I am. I love my dog, yet I want to kill him. But he's too valuable. The Ralston Purina campaign is widely successful. So I find myself in an ultra swank boardroom. Glass walls, beautiful table, panoramic view. Leslie. A blonde with severe glasses. Talks of repositioning, elevating, changing the asset's name. They want to change Jake's name. They see Jake as Beauregard. Three sophisticated, syncopated syllables. Beau signals beauty and regard means look at me. The room applauds in an evangelical media frenzy. The team lead is a woman named Stardust Tawny Rose. Stardust has a directive. Jake shouldn't be pooping in public, not when or where anyone can see. Ah. I've had it. I rise abruptly, clutch my chest, I, I gotta be somewhere else, and I scramble out of the room, knocking into chairs, and Jake follows me very gracefully. I return to my loft. My girlfriend inquires as to my state of mind. I say, I don't know who those people are, but they scare the crap out of me. A bunch of overpaid suits have decided that my dog is no longer allowed to take a normal, natural poop. She thinks I'm overreacting. She thinks I need therapy. Finally, my agent, my agent, Sid, calls with a commercial gig. It's for me, not my dog. Sid says, Scott, Thursday morning at 8 a.m., 23 West 26th Street. Call is for Drummond Dog Chow. I have to zip into an absurd dog suit, and my face shows in an oval between two huge ears. It's come to that. I am a Dalmatian. The suit even has a motorized tail that wags while I speak. I hold up a can of dog food, Vanna White style, and run through a roster of lines, each more trite and stupid than the one before. The overweight director wears an Outlet Mall golf shirt. He glares at me as he chain smokes. For God's sake, give it more enthusiasm. Drummond, because I'm worth it. I take a taxi home. We pass a billboard in Union Square featuring Jake as a centerpiece. About this time, the New York Post does a photo spread with headline, Actor's Dog Turns Ham Takes All the Bows. I'm back in the loft. I lie on the couch. Jake is lying at my feet. In one fell swoop, I jump off the couch, grab a kitchen knife, and start slitting pillows one after another. I shake the feathers all over the loft. I hold the slit pillows in my teeth and wrench my head from side to side like a wild animal with a carcass excellent sense memory. This is method acting. Lee Strasberg would be proud.
0: we've got that doggy tail from our own Stephanie Fu. Many thanks to Scott Sanders for bearing his soul. Now, he might have resented his little doggy, but he always adored him. He loved him so much, in fact, that he named his son after his dog. That's right. They are two Jakes. Two Jakes. Good luck with that, Scott. Hope he doesn't steal your spotlight. Keep it locked when Snap Judgment returns. We're going on the most famous game show of all time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You want a hint? You want a hint? How much would you bid for a hint? Ha ha! In just a moment, it's gonna take a minute, or so, a so little small period of time, but don't worry. Don't you worry. Snap judgment is gonna be right back. You're listening to the Snap Judgment fame episode, and you thought we weren't going to do it. You thought maybe you'd missed out, but no, no way. No way. Have a fame episode without Irene Cara? No way. I used to love this woman. Flashdance, baby. What are you talking about? Because understand, back in the day, Irene Cara was fame. She was it. Her songs were ruled the radio in my house all the time, every day, 24-7, but then somebody turned off the music.
8: My mom used to joke around and say that I was the black Shirley Temple. She's a third-grade student, was a finalist in the Little Miss America contest. She'd throw me on the stage in some kind of Carmen Miranda outfit. Sings in Spanish. And I would dance to my dad's uh, mambo band.
6: Irene Cara from the Bronx. Okay, dear.
8: You know, at that age, you just want to please your parents. I went to school with a lot of well to do kids, a lot of ballerinas, a lot of violinists. Very much the type of schools that fame immortalized.
7: They've got nothing in common but a dream. So, you want to be an
3: actor, huh? Yeah, sure, I want to be an actor.
8: When I auditioned for fame, somewhere inside, spiritually, I felt. Good Lord, who else is going to play this <laughs> You know, but me? We're going to be all over the charts one of these days. You mark my words. It was a beautiful time for me, actually. The film was, was right up there with all, all the other major films. It was global. We did get three nominations, and two of them were for two songs that I sang in the film.
7: For the first time in the history of the Oscars, two songs from the same motion picture have been nominated. They were both sung in the film by the same young woman who sings them for us tonight, Irene Cara.
8: You're starstruck. You're seeing Sally Fields in the bathroom, and she comes up to you and hugs you. Jane Fonda's walking down the hall saying, "Oh, you're so wonderful," you know. People you had grown up watching and admiring, you get to see them sweat backstage, just like you. It changes a lot of things, unfortunately. I was getting ready to step into a very turbulent time. After fame, the label I was signed to went under. The record president, he was going to take over the label. And I ended up being his only artist all of a sudden. here I am with two of the biggest records on the planet, and I'm not seeing a dime. By the time Flashdance came around, there was publishing money involved. I had written Flashdance, and I'd had enough. It was a battle that I had to take on alone. I was battling very powerful people who did some pretty nasty things. Other labels wouldn't sign me. They didn't want to be party to a legal battle. It wasn't something that I could just let go for the sake of my financial future. And it took 13 long years uh, of battling them in in the court, but I did end up winning. God forbid where I would have been if I hadn't just stuck that out. When I look back on it now, the upside of it was that it, it forced me to grow up. Okay, I need everybody's attention for two seconds. Uh, I'm my own businesswoman now. I run my own music production company. One bar bam, two bar bam. I wanted to put together a group of women, women who could write, sing, and play an instrument. I was investing in this group, and this group would be representative of my company. And I told each of them, you know, whatever you want to get out of this is there for you to get out of. Most oh, so of people were writing and bringing tracks that they had started that I would finish and it all just worked. And this is what I tell my girls in Hot Caramel. You have to be in control. You can't leave it to your hubby or to managers or to anybody else. Look, being famous helps spread your art in a way, uh, but it's not just about being famous. These days, you can be famous for just getting a butt chop. If you want to hang around Beverly Hills and then complain about paparazzi, you're not really thinking straight.
0: was produced by our own Mitzi Ma and many thanks to Irene for sharing her story. Her new album Irene Kara Presents Hot Caramel drops later this year and we're going to have a link to it on our website snapjudgment.org you right Now, you might think that fame has passed you by you might suffer under the delusion that your time has come and gone, but no, Snappers, no, don't even let yourself think the words. You've got to look deep inside your heart and know that you've got what it takes to make your dreams come true, and it's not going to be easy. It might not happen the way you expected, it. it might not happen to you first, but know this, dreams do come true, especially if your dream is to hear those immortal words.
2: Come on down!
1: My mother was named Mary Louise Tuno. When she was young, she was beautiful. She was a a beauty prize winner. She was Miss Beaver County. But then, of course, as she had children, she claimed that each of us put pounds on her and she had five kids. She just looked like a, a meatball with, with legs. She had this very thick Italian accent. So she talked the like this, so that's how she talked. She was always praying. She had like 18 holy medals pinned to her bra. Sometime in the 70s, my mother decided she loved Bob Barker. I think Bob represented to her what she imagined a true gentleman would be. He always dressed beautifully and he was handsome and, and well-coiffed and, and, you know, just just a very elegant man. My poor father, he was a bricklayer, you know. <laughs> she, she'd just say, I love it that the Bob Barker, look at him, he's a, such a den- gentleman. She watched the show religiously. Everything in the house stopped at 11 o'clock in the morning, and she turned on the TV, and she'd sit down.
7: What is
0: it, and my
1: father used to make this it's joke, uh-uh-uh. He'd uh, uh, say,
6: quiet, it's
1: the holy hour. The
6: music the
1: I think she always thought that she was capable of more, and I think she wanted to be a movie star. This was her way of going, I can do this, I could be on there. And so she talked to everybody. She would always say... I love a that the show. The prizes are right. I'm gonna be on that show and I'm gonna be a winner. Sometime around, let's see, 1981, I decided to move to California. And my mother was just completely inconsolable. She was bereft. I said, Mom, it's okay. You know, I said, hey, if I move to California, you can be on the prices right. <gasps> really, friends? Do you think I have a chance? After that, it was sort of like, go, go, go quickly, because I want to be on this show. And so, you know, I'm living in California for six months. She and my father came out to visit, and I made sure that I had tickets for us to go be on The Price is Right. They bring everybody in, and they give you a name tag. And we were seated in way in the back. We were like one of the last rows in the back. My mother was just bereft. She said, I don't think that they're going to pick us if it we're all the way in the back. And she's got this really half-tragic, you know, smile on her face. She's trying desperately to smile, and she can't. The stage lights dim, and, and out, you know, comes Bob Barker. the
7: star of the is rise.
1: Everybody loves Bob, and he's looking all dapper in his outfit. And with every second that's ticking by, I'm thinking, she has to get on this show. She has to get on this show. The fourth name that's called...
7: Miss right Mary Tunnel, Come on down.
1: You're the next... Contestant. She leaped out of her seat. She had this bright blue dress on, and, and she waved her fists in the air. Me! And so she gets down, and, and she's in the front row, and...
7: I beg your pardon? Oh,
2: I've been wanting to see you for a long time.
7: You've been wanting to see me? All you have to do is turn on your television set, and there I am. Where do you live?
2: In Pennsylvania.
7: And you're out here on vacation.
2: Well, yes, I came because my daughter, she says, Ma, you want to see Bob Barker? I'm going to move to California, and you get to come over there, and that's why I'm here.
7: Your daughter moved to yeah. California French. just so you could come I out could and come visit see- and see me.
2: <laughs> you believe this God's truth. I mean it.
1: Now, this in no way <laughs> resembled not even anything close to the truth.
7: The biggest bunch of baloney I've ever heard. <laughs> Now, oh, Mary, you didn't, she didn't move out here just so you could come see me? She did. She did? She did. Uh, yeah, she
2: did. She's back there.
1: I know what's going to happen. They're going to put that camera on me, and sure enough, Bob says, wait a minute, where's the daughter?
7: Where's the daughter? Stand up there, will you please? You really moved to California just so Mary could come visit you and see me? That's what I thought. <laughs> Sit up. That's all I need to know.
2: She had a good joke. And
7: she gave up a good job. That's right. Now she's out here on welfare, just so you can come
1: see. Everybody's making their bids. And and then finally, I think it was a set of luggage. Yeah, it was a set of luggage. Five and
7: Mary wins.
1: She got out of contestants row is what they call it. And She got to kiss Bob Barker.
7: Yeah, kiss by all means. Mary, what does it say there? Uh hi. What does it say over there? Low. This is the what game? High and low. High low game. She's you up
1: there and she has to guess at a few things and and she doesn't do terribly well because when people spoke to her she understood them but there was always just a little bit of something that got lost in the translation.
7: What did I say you had to do to win this game?
2: When it was before, how it is now. Is that it?
7: No, you're thinking of now and then.
2: Now and then? Well,
7: Now and then is another game. Explain
2: it to
1: me again.
7: please. I want you to pick out the three
1: And so the crowd's cheering and yelling and telling her I can't make enough.
7: What is this? She can't understand you. What do you say? All right. The new moisture is
1: 7.50. So she made it as one of the last two people.
7: In my will, Mary, Mary, Mary. Here's the first spin of the second You know, show.
1: we watched as my mother was up there, and they both had to make a bid on their showcase items
7: your bid is three thousand seven hundred dollars on your showcase
1: he won the showcase and 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 all the music's playing and bob's got his arm around her and my father's sitting there and he goes i'll be damned because she had been saying for years i'm gonna go on that show i'm gonna be a winner and she was all of these people who said she couldn't do it We're going to be reading about her on the front page of the Beaver County Times.
0: Many thanks to our own Anna Sussman. Now, Mary refused to accept the cash equivalent for her prizes, and the stand-up bar still stands in her living room. The dining room set lives in an extra bedroom, thanks to Fran Tuno for telling us her story. Everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to see their name and likes. And when you get there, when you get the chance, you find out you don't really want it anymore.
2: So, generally, the rubber meets the road on the Hollywood dreams when the rent is due. And I've been slinging poems and picking up side gigs trying to make it happen. And all of a sudden, that afternoon, as if sent by the Lord Himself, I get a phone call. Bring, bring, bling. Hello, Miss Taylor. This is Peter Sutton from Global Casting. Oh my God, Mr. Sutton. Uh, how are you? Fantastic. We're sitting here with your head shot, and we've got an amazing role for you, and we'd love for you to come in tomorrow and read for it. Are you available? Yeah, I think I am. You will be playing, get this, Sonia, <laughs> Yo Stank Big Mama Ho. <laughs> Excuse me? Yes, you'll be playing Yo Stank Big Mama Ho. Isn't that a hoot? Really, the character is a, a drug-addicted prostitute. <laughs> Sonia, can I- Can I call you back uh, in, like, 20 minutes? I just need to check my calendar. Make it fast. Yes, sir, Mr. Sutton. I'll call you right back. Click. And in that moment, even though my entire performance poetry career is built on the back of being known as this self-assured, empowered woman who feels good about herself and lives in integrity and encourages all of her audiences to do the same, in that moment, with the rent due in three days... I thought about compromising it all, every single drop of it. And then my phone rings again. Bring, bring. Sonia, we need to really move on this. Well, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Sutton. Um, It appears that I have an engagement already tomorrow and I'm not going to be able to make it for the reading. I'm really sorry, but please keep me in mind for uh, other opportunities. Ah, uh, Okay, Sonia, have a great life. Click. And just that fast. My big break was gone. And I can't say that I was surprised, but I just was certain that I could beat the Hollywood machine. But the truth is, I'm just a loud black girl with big aspirations and a big old mouth, and I really can't change the machine. But the truth of the matter is, I do not have to let the machine change me. I ain't ever gonna be nobody's. Yo, stank big mama, ho.
0: Now, if you think this lady can tell a story, you should hear her rock a poem. Links to the world of Sonia Renee Taylor on our website, snapjudgment.org. Snap Judgment was produced by myself, but never alone. Heartthrob to millions of screaming fans worldwide, please put your hands together for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. Our own celebrity chef, Rita Daniels our stunt double, Miss Stephanie Foo, Will Urbina, the special effects master, and Anna Sussman, who trashes hotel rooms. Mitchie Mock, though, does not eat green M&M's. Now then, if you find yourself pulled over during 110 miles an hour the wrong way down a one-way street and you get out of the car and start making ethnic slurs about the arresting officers, do you know who you shouldn't call the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. They've got enough to worry about without you acting a fool. Now, much love to Youth Speaks. Why? Because the next generation can speak for itself. YouthSpeaks.org. PRX, the public radio exchange, putting the public in public media, PRX.org. And even though this is not the news, this is not the news. In fact, you could be hanging out with Britney Spears and Paris Hilton Y'all go down to the flea market and in the middle of an old box of baseball cards. You could find a picture of Elvis sitting on Sammy Davis Jr.'s lap. And still, still, you would not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is N.P.R.